Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Agassicles Stamos from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube, as well as the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube, here with another episode of Off His Own Bat. This is a combo episode, Off His Own Bat, in conjunction with Steven's reviews of Ultimate Awesomeness. So hopefully kicking off the start to a wonderful podcasting relationship where he and I will be getting together every week to talk about comic books. So each and every week, Stephen and I both read anywhere from four to twelve comic books, and then we gather on this here podcast and talk about about six of those issues in detail. We also then talk about the best thing that we read out of the previous shipping week, and then talk about what is in our pull list for the upcoming week, so that you are aware of what we'll be talking about on the next episode. Stephen, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. Good, good, good. Cool, cool, cool. So, starting off the uh, first segment. So, first of all, let me mention, this is a spoiler show. We are going to talk about the books in detail that we read the previous shipping week. We were talking about books for the shipping week of uh, the 19th of September. So, uh, if you haven't read your comic books, you should be done now. It's Monday night. It's two days before New Comic Book Day. So, we do the show this late so that hopefully everybody's had a chance to read. If for some reason you haven't, check out the show notes, look at the issues that we're going to talk about, make sure that you've read those issues, and then come back to listen to the show. Stephen, the first thing on the uh, general issue reviews discussion uh, is you read Amazing Spider-Man Annual number one. Yes. So you want to talk to us about that real quick? Yeah, we got, I could talk about that. Amazing Spider-Man is Amazing Spider-Man Annual number one. Is made by Saladin Ahimed, and the artist is Gary Gary Brown. I'm not really fam- not that familiar with the artist, but with the writer, I've read his work at Black Bolt and his Exile series, and I'm I really enjoyed his Black Bolt, and um, I'm currently enjoying his Exile series. This issue was nor was um about it was about Peter Parker's past with the symbiote when he just had gotten the suit. His yeah, he got in the suit and he, he had just kind of the symbiote suit and he's having a rough time with the suit because um every night every night he's sleeping the suit ends up um ends up getting a it ends up getting out and going on adventures like fighting villains or thugs, any criminals while as he's sleeping. The venom suit takes over the venom symbiote takes over and fights crime at when he's sleeping and that causes him to have stress and not function well with his with with his girlfriend Black Cat and Aunt May. And his is even his job with J. Jonah Jameson. So yeah, that's what's it's mostly about is is something in the past. And um I really did enjoy this issue because um they had it was a lot of um emotional um experience with with uh there's a lot of emotional experience with Peter Parker, with the stuff that he's going through and 
not always on time for everything and how he's not always stable with his life. Like he's very irresponsible and he's hoping to do better. And, and he's like hiding a lot of secrets about himself and it's kind of nice to see him go through that stuff. And, um, and kind of get a feel for the character and you also get to see, um, the symbiote care about people and he actually, you see, he actually, you see him kill a whole bunch of criminals and I mean, I'm not sure if it's kill. It left it very vague of whether he's killing on them or not. He's just really bashing their heads open and, and, yeah, the the people were like questioning why is he beating up the people? Like the people that he was trying to save was questioning him and they they um Venom said that he needs to get things done and this is how he gets things done. He's different than the usual um Peter he's different than Peter Parker because Peter Parker rather not kill anyone or beating them very violently violent violently. So there's this one guy he ends up saving and Apparently the guy teaches him a lesson to not, to not kill anyone the next time he, cause there's one, there's one time where he, he's get, he gets caught by Hammerhead, the guy that he saved and Venom goes, saves him and, and he decides not to kill Hammerhead cause the guy told him to. And he said that he'll try to do better next time. And it was a good way of, of Venom trying to, the symbiote trying to be a better hero for himself. And it was a good story. Overall, I think it was a good story. Very cool. I, uh, I want to say, so as we talked yesterday a little bit in the, in the pre-production show, you know, I grew up reading comics in the eighties. I want to say this is a story that was told before. Like, I swear I'm certain there was an issue like this back in the 80s telling this exact story of like the symbiote going out at night while Parker was sleeping and then he would he would but there because there was still a link like Peter's mind was still awake while the symbiote yeah. was out doing his thing so every every morning Peter would get up and he would be exhausted yeah that's what it that's what it was yeah I, I, w- I want to say that uh, this is uh, a thing that I've seen before so, so Saladin Ahmed is, uh, is kind of uh, a rising star in the comic book industry uh, he's written, a, I think he's written a couple issues of Miss Marvel, which we talked about extensively yesterday as well. Uh, oh, I, I don't, I didn't notice that. I think. I, th- I think he did. There, I was sure that there was also a, a book of his that I read uh, last because year. Uh, the only book I read was Black Bolt, and okay. and now he's writing Exiles. Okay, gotcha. So I may have him. I may have him confused with a with a different. Writer. I also th- thought he had a creator-owned book that he was doing with a different publisher last year, but that might be incorrect. So, so overall, pretty good issue then, huh? Yeah, I really liked this one. I, I would give it a nine. Nice. Yeah, because I am not. I'm not reading amazing. I am reading uh, spectacular, uh, which we will talk about a little bit. I kind of wish he was actually writing the main series of Spider-Man. So, what is the main series now? Is it not? Is it not amazing? It is Amazing Spider-Man. It's just written by uh, Nick Spencer. It's not written uh, by this guy. Okay, so this is this annual issue. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, very cool. 
So uh, the next issue we're going to talk about is Batman number 55, uh, published by DC, obviously written by Tom King with pencils by Tony Daniel. And the big story here for me is that this is Tony Daniel's return um, to a Batman book. I was accustomed to him doing the art on, I believe he did the art on Batman Eternal. Um, and I haven't really seen Tony Daniel around DC Comics that much. And, and maybe he's been on books that I just haven't been reading. Um, it seems I, I definitely uh, see covers from him a lot. So I don't know if he's been taking a break and doing covers predominantly. Uh, but I just haven't seen him on ongoings. Um, and like I said, I, I, I think the last time I saw him that I... You know, was on a book that I was reading regularly was uh, Batman Eternal, so I'll have to go back and take a look at that. But at any rate, I've always been a fan of his work, um, and he brings it large here. Uh, highly detailed work. He's kind of maybe he's my favorite alternate to Jim Lee, um, but uh, I, I wasn't super crazy about the cover. There's some weird, like, proportion things that yeah, it Batman doesn't look like. He's standing proportional in there. Yeah, so I, that was really weird for that to be an issue on the cover. Uh, but and it made me a little nervous about like the interior art, whether or not maybe he's fallen off a bit. But the interior art was kind of standard Tony Daniel. Everything inside is exquisite. Um, and we'll come back to talk about art here in a, in a bit. So the setup for this is uh, Bruce, and I apologize that I'm looking off camera. I have this big, huge noise isolation filter around my microphone, so I'm having to like look up and over it. I will have to try and set up my podcast setup a little better here for the future episodes. But um, so Bruce obviously has been wallowing uh, in misery since the events of the wedding to Selena, or actually the Catwoman, I should say, where she left him at the altar. So we've been going through this for about four issues. Um, first, we had three issues of him with the trial of Mr. Freeze um, and him uh, bribing his way onto a jury so that he could basically get Mr. Freeze acquitted um, because he felt badly because he knew, he knew that he had kind of pinned it on Freeze uh, out of anger because he needed something to punch and something to fight. Then we had this really weird issue by a guest artist after that that kind of did the, this whole setup of uh, Dick um, coming back to try and kind of care for Bruce emotionally. Um, and I didn't really, so that was issue uh, 54, which I didn't particularly care for, because that artist, and, and not to throw shade at him, but I just, I didn't like him as much as Lee Weeks, and I definitely don't like him as much as Tony Daniels, so the art was just a little off-putting, it was just a little car too cartoony for me, um, and Steven has dropped off, hopefully he will uh, be back here shortly, so I'm going to continue, and hopefully we will get uh, Steven back. Um uh, so anyway, like I said, you know, uh, uh, Bruce was looking for something to blame, um, or somebody to blame. Sorry, and I gotta... Okay, so Steven will be back with us shortly. His, uh, his PC just crashed, so I'm gonna continue talking about Batman number 55, and then hopefully he will be back. Let me just tell him to... I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Was that all the technical problems tonight? Yep, so those kind of things happen when you're doing a podcast. Uh, they cannot be avoided. So, all right, good thing I put together all my show notes, <laughs> as if I was going to be doing a solo again. Uh, so, and of course, like I said, you know, Bruce has been dealing with a lot because he, he was not in control when the negativity of the wedding happened. And if it's one thing that we all know, we know Bruce 
can't stand not being in control. Um, so like I mentioned, we kind of had a cartoony, goofy issue with Dick and uh, a lot of remembrances that were touching at a lot of points. But again, I just didn't particularly care for that art style. Now we get issue number 55. Um, so issue number 55, man, it's classic in a lot of ways from, uh, from the beginning to the end. Uh, the issue is mostly Bruce and Dick on patrol, just like the old days, um, except now Dick is in the Nightwing costume. Um, they encounter some mummies and a new villain who's leading these mummies. Um, so, it's, again, it's kind of the same setup as the last issue. Almost, It's almost a repetition of the last issue, because the same thing, they brought Dick back and had him fighting alongside Bruce um, and, uh, and had him doing the same kind of quips. The quips are one thing that I didn't really particularly care for. Um, I don't remember original Robin being that quippy. I mean, he was almost like Spider-Man level quippy. And that just kind of felt a little off-putting to me. I mean, I knew he was not as grim and brooding as Bruce was, but I just don't remember him being as much of a ham as they've had him be these last two issues. Um, you know, and, and then and then last issue, what they were doing was in between the mummies, they were having uh, the thing flash back to how Dick, you know, pull, or Bruce pulled Grayson into his kind of family unit, you know, with him and Alfred. Um, so we don't really get the flashbacks that much, um, but you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, the issue is predominantly, for the most part of it, for the first twenty twenty one pages, is it's it's the dynamic duo, it's Gotham at night, there's rain, they're out on patrol, and that's pretty much all you need for the setup for a great Batman comic. Uh, so let's talk about the art first. Uh, so like I said, I'm a huge fan of Tony Daniels. The art here is superb. Uh, you know, the the there's a elegant match between the art and the story and King and Daniels working together again. Um, whichever it is, it just comes off with aplomb. Um, and I, I'm curious, I would love to know the history between how this got set up as far as the talent and the, and the rotation. So I don't know if, if I don't know if King set up this arc specifically to get Daniels back on the book or if he knew Daniels was, was due to come back and he wanted to make sure that Daniels had a meaty you know, significant character impacting storyline uh, to draw. He didn't. You wouldn't want Tony Daniels to just come back for like, you know, peanuts and rice. So, uh, so you know, I feel like King probably made sure that this was significant enough to ensure Daniels wasn't coming back for just another arc. Uh, but whatever it is, it just feels like you know King is really setting Daniels up with very meaty content uh, for him to get on board with. Um, the, the very second page, it's a classic portrait splash page of Bruce and Dick running across the rooftops, and I mean, the only thing that could have made it more classic would have been if Dick was actually in the Robin costume. Um, then you get a splash page of Bruce and Dick in the air above the zombies they are fighting, um, attacking from above, another classic splash page, this one in landscape view. Uh, then you get a big, so it's like every other page, uh, you're, you're getting this big classic portrayal of the two of them as a dynamic duo. And if at this point you don't get that King and Daniels are setting you up for something, then, like, you might want to check yourself because you might be dead inside. But I started getting nervous because I'm like, man, they're really, they're really pulling the heartstrings here with all these classic views. Now, what's going on in the background is you have um, a person, a, a villain, a uh, one-armed man who has come to town, um, and it's in a classic kind of noir. Uh, he's checking into a hotel. Um, he's getting his passport checked, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you get a, so like I said, you get a, you get a 
you get a uh, you, get, you get a big portrait splash page of Batman landing the knockout blow on the main bad guy. Uh, so there's about eight full page layouts of Batman and Nightwing. Um, and if this is the last of the two of them, um, then you, you've got that story. Daniel's on art, uh, and it's this big sweeping epic with big sweeping epic layouts, and it's absolutely just the right thing to do uh, for this type of story. Uh, so again. Um, you know, a lot of this setup feels a lot like what happened to Tim Drake in Detective Comics. Um, so, you know, and, and with the way it ends, I kind of, I didn't know exactly how to feel because we saw the Tim Drake thing, which, you know, in at least one occasion was kind of a head fake uh, until some things happened later. Um, and so I kind of reserved judgment on exactly how I felt a little bit. Uh, but I but I quickly just decided just to accept it for what it was. I kind of did a little my own little comic book forensics um, on a page, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so uh, so I was actually pretty amazed when I got to the final page that the whole thing hadn't been ruined for me uh, by the internet. Uh, and if you got to the last page and actually got the surprise and and, and earned it, good on you. Okay. Also. Yeah, I got on. <laughs> yeah, so Steve is back. Very good. So I, and Steve and I've been continuing to talk about Batman Fifty Five. I'm going to just continue. Uh, going along, checking along with that, and then uh, we'll, we'll get you back into the swing of things here shortly. Um, so in Batman number 55, you know, throughout the story, you see Batman and Robin being on patrol. Uh, we've got this background story of a man, seemingly Russian, I think maybe, who flies into Gotham, checks into a motel, goes to buy a rifle, um, socially engineers his way into gaining access to an apartment. All of these things are very timely and relevant with things that are going on in the real world. Um, you know, Gets access to an apartment, which gives him the optimal sniper position, uh, overlooking overlooking the rooftop where the bat signal is mounted, and then goes on to shoot Nightwing in the head. Uh, and of course, this is the final big portrait splash page after a comic book full of splash pages of Batman and Robin or Batman and Nightwing, kind of in classic art poses from previous issues. Now, the question, of course, for everybody is going to be. You know, did he really shoot Nightwing? Is he really dead? I think it was wonderfully done in terms of as soon as he shoots Nightwing, the camera snaps away from the actual shooting. Um, you, you basically see in lettering what is essentially the equivalent of kind of background noise. If you've ever watched a TV show where a shooting happens um, and you can, and you see the next series of sequence of activity you see is the camera's off the actual victim but you can hear all of like the emergency calls and the vehicles and all that stuff in the background. It was kind of that same effect. Um, now, again, as I mentioned, uh, up until this point, uh, you know, so we don't know what's going to happen with it. We don't know if they're going to pull a Tim Drake. We don't know if they're going to kind of Oracle him up like Barbara Gordon. Um, like I said, I kind of felt like I did my own little comic book forensics and I kind of looked very intensely at the picture. I looked at the blood splatter. I looked at the way his head jerked. I thought about the direction that the sniper had to be sitting in. It looks to me like it's a real shot and not a grazing shot. But again, we just don't know how, you know, issue number 56 is going to open up. Um, so, you know, the, I, I love the final bit. And the final bit, you hear Gordon on the radio as, as the sniper. The camera's on the sniper. The sniper's packing up and departs the apartment. But what you hear in the background, again, in the lettering, is Gordon calling in the emergency services, yelling and screaming at people on a radio to get there as quickly as possible. Um, it, to me, it's, 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 really, it's a really powerful scene. You've got some great craft. 
uh, very thoughtful to move the camera off of the rooftop scene and make the reader kind of imagine what it looks like with Batman and his potentially murdered best friend and Gordon, Gordon standing around in shock screaming at people on a radio. So um, I was very satisfied with this. Uh, I thought it was excellent that they really kind of walk you through this whole character and relationship build up through the first 21 pages of the book. It didn't feel like a throwaway kind of thing. So again, it's just remaining to see you know, how they actually deal with it. Steven, you also read this issue. Yeah. I get the sense you didn't have as positive a feeling as I had about it. I didn't have a positive feeling about it because I didn't like the... I really don't like how Tom King writes the dialogue in the Batman books. It feels like it's... The sentences look... uh, They are kind of incoherent, and I feel... I don't know. I think the characters... Are speaking like speech, like they have speech impediment, like they're not complete, they're not talking in complete sentences. And I don't think, and I really didn't get to know as much about the villain as I was hoping. And, um, I just, I just didn't, I just didn't like the dialogue for like, for the character, for, especially for Nightwing, who's getting kind of a, Annoying <laughs> with the mommy with the mommy dearest and right. right. Well, I said, I, that I, was just I, I, I couldn't stand it. I, I actually had a problem with about with how comedic he was he was trying to come off being, and again, I have a hard time remembering if that was true to who he was as Robin. The, the somewhat incompleteness of the sense I, I took as that being representative of the closeness of he and Bruce's relationship, right? That they didn't need. I mean, it's it's kind of like. You know your best friend, or, or, or two guys when they're hanging out, and you, you 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 have this short kind of quippy back and forth that you know where sentences are complete. So if you if you've ever watched like an episode of like Psych, it feels like that, um, where you know there, are, there there's this bit of almost what I would call friendship jargon that that goes back and forth between the two. It may not be complete sentences, um, but uh, but at any rate, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was interesting and, and neat. I, so I gave the issue a 9 out of 10 uh, on my personal scale. Uh, but, Stephen, let's talk about something you did, uh, like reading Captain Well, America. there is one oh, thing that uh, that I did find, like, on the on the, webs- on the comic websites, that I did find out what would happen to Nightwing. There's, like, an interview with ben- Benjamin Percy, the guy who writes Nightwing now. And he said that... Uh, and uh, Nightwing's gonna go through some. He's gonna have some brain damage. So he actually does get shot in the head, but he doesn't die. It's just like he ends up getting some brain damage, and if it messes up, messes up with him mentally and physically, because he his brain can't operate a hundred percent because it's a little bit damaged. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's he has of- to learn how to live with that. Yeah, so it kind of goes along with my theory that they were going to kind of oracle him up and and uh, and uh, constrain him somehow, and, and then he's going to have to figure out how to live his life and work around that. So that should be. Yeah, the only thing is that I don't know if Scott Lodell is going to uh, take the opportunity and to demonstrate that because Ben Ben Parsi is leaving um, Nightwing pretty early, like at issue number fifty. Okay. And then they are switching to Scott Lobdell. So I don't know if he's going to take whatever was written for Tom from Tom King and Benjamin Percy's on Lightwing's book. 
Yeah, they're pretty... I feel like the Bat Family books, and I don't know if they're coming off the same... I mean, I assume that they're coming off the same editorial desk, kind of like Marvel um, mm-hmm. funnels people. But, uh, you know, through the last few years of... I mean, there's there's been discontinuity, like what Snyder was doing in in Batman in All Star Batman was not necessarily in continuity with with the core book in Detective Comics, but but by and large, you'll see the, you know the things that are in continuity seem to be relatively in sync, or they give you kind of an, an expositionary uh, hint of like, hey, this ha-, you know this happened specifically outside the timeline of whatever, so. It'll be interesting to see. Um, it's, it'll also be interesting because, as we know, Barbara Gordon is on her way back to Gotham after being after operating out in Burnside for the last uh, two or three years or whenever New 52 ended. That's where she transitioned to for Rebirth, and they are collapsing her back into Gotham. I, I wonder um, if, if this is part of that you know, overall storyline that as we lose Nightwing and, and have lost Tim Drake, then it's you know, Batgirl who comes back. Um and of course, Red Hood has also been run out of town. So the Bat Family is very small. Also, kind of feels like maybe they might be winding us up for a big Bat Family event, right? As a thing that kind of reassembles everyone yeah. uh, once everyone has been scattered to the to the wind. So it'll be interesting to see. But let's keep rolling and, and talk to me a little bit about Captain America Annual Number One. All right, Captain America Annual Number One was is uh, is written by Tini Howard and the artist is Chris Sprouse. And the story is, um, it's about, it takes place in World War II and Captain America and Bucky are in the, in the forest and they meet up with three, um, German refugees that have escaped, um, Germany and they're trying to find a way to, find a way to get to America because they don't want, to, they didn't want to live in, Germany anymore. Um, and they are, uh, one of them was, it was two women and one of them was Russian. She was Russian, half German. She was, she was, uh, a person that, um, she had, uh, left Russia because she didn't like the way the Soviets were doing stuff. And she decided to move to Germany and then she met this this guy she yeah she met the 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 male character and he was a half german half jew and they they knew each other for a very long time and they just they just didn't like how germany was doing things so they decided to try to leave the country join the war and they met up with Captain america and bucky and he they're they're fighting off um the Nazis and halfway through the story you find out that the male character one of the, the male refugee was actually uh you find out he's a um homosexual and he talks about how he wants to come to America because he doesn't think that Germany liked him being a Jew or um a homosexual and he feels like America will probably give him a better chance of living. And he, he has a great, uh, he has a great friendship with the two women that's with him. And it was, I felt like, I don't know, I felt really connected with the story because, um, I'm gay myself and it was pretty touching to actually see another 
uh, see that the character was pretty related to what I experienced and he is kind of a symbolism of I know in the 1940s gays didn't have they weren't treated well in the 1940s but I saw that as a symbolism of of what America is trying to be and I felt uh, the story was um, pretty heartbreaking and I it was pretty enriching I I think I did um, I would give this book actually a 10 because I thought it was like the best book of the week and it was really touching. And you get to see how Captain America didn't even care about the character's orientation or sex or race, that he still helped them out and treated them as soldiers, even though they were refugees escaping their country. And he took them, he took them as a person. Like some, it was kind of like what America is trying to be today. And I did appreciate that. Very cool. So I guess one of my questions is, so how do you feel? I guess one concern I had, and I didn't read this issue, but it, it feels like every time we do a Captain America annual, we it's always like a flashback to World War II with like him and Bucky. And I'm just like, like, have we moved beyond that? I mean, I, I feel like yeah, that they always do do that. Yeah, it's like every like annual issue right. is a flashback to World War Two. Right, and, and I get it, but I'm kind of like, uh, okay, okay. And and then the other thing I wanted to ask you, so uh, now sometimes they do it, and they do like the old style art, like they try and make it like Kirby looking art, or like they'll bring Mike Michael Mike Allred in to do it, um, so it has that old timey feel. Uh, was it that style art, or was it like modern a modern art, art style? It's a modern art style. It wasn't it wasn't no old timey feel. The characters did look very modern. It, they were it was pretty good. I liked the art. I never I'm not really familiar with the artist, but his art was pretty good. It was the characters looked very solid and there was no everything was pretty much detailed. There was no right. nothing left undetailed. Okay. Alright. It was pretty good. I really much enjoyed it. And the characters do end up going to America and live their lives. And um what I actually thought was interesting is that the um the writer said that it's actually based on a true story that it was those the three characters that are really his ancestors that that fought in World War Two who escaped that escaped Germany and got to America. So yeah, it was based on his family members' past. Oh, nice, very cool, very cool. So yeah, so I thought it was pretty cool to to find out that those people actually do exist, right. and <laughs> they participate in the war. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So I'm going to move on to the fourth book in our rundown: a Star Wars number fifty-four, obviously published by Marvel Comics, written by Kieran Gillen, art by the great Salvador La Roca, letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, this is part five of the Hope Dies arc, uh, wherein the Rebels are given ships and technology by Queen Trios, only to be betrayed and given up to the Empire. Uh, so in the last few issues, the Rebels, thanks to Han, have discovered that even though their hangar bay doors have been software locked from being opened, uh, preventing them from launching their fighters, uh, the emergency feature to prevent the crash impact of a Rebel spacecraft from impacting the whole door still works. And so the squadrons have been launching to take on the TIE fighters and Star Destroyers in the vicinity to give the Rebel cruisers time to escape. 
Meanwhile, Leia and a small squad have stolen aboard the Executor, the big flagship of the Imperial Navy at the time, to get the override codes because the engines on the cruisers have also been shut down. The override codes are over on the Executor. They go over there to get the codes uh, so that the cruisers will be allowed to make the jump to light speed. Uh, So on art, uh, I have been enamored with LaRocca's work from the very beginning. I think he's been on Star Wars either since the beginning um, or or maybe he chopped in about issue 24 or so. Uh, I'm pretty sure. So there was uh, before the whole... Or the, it, when Marvel first started the Star Wars reboot, when the license moved, moved over to Disney, there was a prequel book to The Force Awakens that was written by uh, Charles Soule, and I'm pretty sure LaRocca was on art. It was amazing. That's where I was first exposed to him, and then eventually uh, I think he rolled on to the main book. Um, so he's been on this book for about two and a half years, if I remember that correctly. Uh, one of the things that LaRocca does so well uh, is that he makes the the pictures, particularly of the space battles, look and feel like they're actually unfolding on a movie screen. If you look at the detail in his work, um, you will see when the camera is pulled out that the stars uh, are points of light. But when you get in close on a fighter, it starts to become the fighter pilot's perspective, and the and the stars in the background become little short streaks. Um, so it gives you that feeling of of speed and dogfighting um, in a space fighter. Uh, you have one panel where uh, an X-Wing is launching out of the uh, hangar bay in a cruiser, and he's got so much detail, he's actually got the vapor cloud in the hangar bay from where the X-Wing was, like, buckled up to, like, its pre-engine start equipment, and then it, can't, it like, jettisons this whoosh of a vapor cloud and then takes off. Um, when you're in the cockpit, you see these light shadows on uh, Han's face as the lights from the hangar bay slide past him as he exits the hangar. It's just exquisite attention to detail in the work here, um, and it's great and epic. And uh, there are big space battle splash pages, uh, like in the second or third page, uh, that remind me of like that scene in Return of the Jedi when like the Millennium Falcon and all of the fighter craft um, just race towards the Tie Fighters that are coming up from the Imperial fleet, and and they kind of all streak past each other in this big mass of like. I guess I've seen, like, the making of Return of the Jedi way back in the day, and I think they said there were, like, 50 or 80, like, StarCraft on screen at the one time, and it was, like, the biggest special effects shot ever. Um, and, and that's... And LaRocca does that. He renders that on the page, and it's pretty amazing. Um, there's some neat little... There are some neat little uh, silent panels uh, on there, and, uh, sorry, the uh, E2KG network flock chat is going off for some reason, so let me close flock. Um... There's some neat little silent panels here, which are really effective, particularly in the moments where Vader has failed. And I always love that when they do that in comics, where, like, you, you see this Vader, he's just crushing evil, but then the rebels pull something over on him, and then it's just silent as he just kind of stews and steams in his own failure, and I'm sure Anakin is in there underneath the helmet getting angry. Uh, so it's really awesome. Um, so Vader then eventually returns to the Executor, and while the squad slows Vader down from by, by sacrificing themselves of the squad that went with Leia. Leia escapes on a TIE fighter. She gets intercepted by Luke and Han. She blows up another TIE fighter to make sure that Luke and Han know that she's a friendly because she has no communications with them. And this is kind of these neat little story points. And, and the thing that amazes me a lot about this book, which which I'm on now as an ongoing, um, I for most of the books run, I didn't read it regularly. I would just do drop-ins. It's really What's really neat is like, Every time I think, I'm like, oh, 
they have to have told every Star Wars story that can possibly be told. They come up with these neat little things that haven't actually been done before. Like, we haven't actually seen Han in an X-Wing. We haven't seen Han in an X-Wing out in space fighting alongside Luke, which is neat. And when you really think about it, you're like, oh, no, Han's really a great pilot. He, this should have happened. Um, and then much less Han, Luke, and Leia all in single-person fighter craft uh, out in space, um, you know, having the great big adventures that they've always had. Uh, one thing I really liked about this issue, too, in the last couple of issues, in, in the script, they've made these really awkward references. Uh, two issues ago, they did it, like, several times, and it was really off-putting. off-putting. They made a bunch of references to Jin Erso and her original uh, rogues, um, and I was like, ah, really, do we have to force that? Like, we, look, we saw the movies. We don't. You don't have to shove that down our throats. So I'm glad that they backed off of that a bit. Um, in the end, I just felt like this was more high adventure, great snips of dialogue, monumental one-liners from your favorite Star Wars characters. What I really like in this last arc, too, and especially this issue, is that uh, you also get to hear a lot from characters that we love, but you don't see a lot of on screen. In the movies, they just don't get a ton of screen time, but you definitely recognize them like Mon Mothma and General Dodonna. Uh, I gave this issue an 8.0 out of 10. Um, now, Steven, you also read this issue. What were your thoughts on it? I thought it was pretty good. I really liked the the character um, that was with Leia that was um, fighting Darth Vader, and he. I did like that he... I appreciated that he actually sacrificed himself in order to save Leia. And I thought that was pretty touching. He he, he was able to sacrifice himself for Leia to try to survive and run to the to the to the X was the X Wing, right? No, that wasn't X Wing, it was a uh, TIE Fighter. Well again yeah, they went, he went to the TIE Fighter ship. I mean she went to the TIE Fighter right. ship and then yeah, I thought it was also pretty smart how Luke and Han Solo decided not to shoot the ship. Right, right. He realized he he wasn't sure it was Leia in the ship, but he had an idea that it was someone who was on their side. Okay. I thought that was actually pretty smart. So let's go ahead and blast through these last two issues pretty quickly, uh, just because we got about 20 minutes left in the show, and I definitely want to make sure we get a chance to talk about everything. So uh, you then read Hit Girl number eight by Image Comics. Yeah, I read Hit, Hit Girl number eight, and this is by Jeff Lemire, and the artist is Edward R- Rissell. And this book is about um, it's about Hit Girl going into um Canada because there's a drug trade um going a drug trade war going on with countries like she goes to like countries around the world that's doing some illegal drug trading work and. The first couple of issues, he was in Columbia. That was, written, that was written by Mark Miller. And now the second arc of the book is written by Jeff Lemire. And it's, she's solving the drug trade that was going on in Canada. And she, she still hasn't found out who's really been in charge of the, the illegal drug trade. But she did kill the people that were working in Canada. So she's killing a bunch of, um, um, criminals there and then she finds there was even some crooked cops there and she gets rid of them and then she uh, she also deals with a whole bunch of emotional stuff about her dad 
how much she misses her dad in her in her head. And you can see that she's a little pretty damaged about her her father not being around in her life and she's doing this all alone. And she's hoping that her father is still there for her, even though he's not really in there. So she's I mean, her father is talking to her in her head and she's grieving and and actually the fa- I liked how the father actually talked to her like if he was alive and cheering her up and it's pretty emotional to see her go through that and try to still be herself even though she's not clearly well and it's, it's pretty amazing how she see, you see her fight and the fighting scenes were pretty well done and I really liked how the the artists demonstrated the fighting scenes for the book. Yeah, so you may have mentioned it, maybe I missed it. So is, does Kick-Ass show up in this book? No, he's it- not. He, I think he retired. It, and I, I don't remember what happened in Kick-Ass 3 of the book, but I think he retired because someone else took his, um, his mantle. And she hasn't met Hit Girl yet, but... Well, yeah, he's. I don't think he's no longer around because they they do mention he retired. Okay, yeah, and I have. I remember. And I have seen a cover. I think recently, maybe this shipping, the same shipping week of of, of Kickass, and it, it looked like it was a a woman. So that's interesting. That, yeah, uh, that they've made that swap. Very cool. So yeah, he just. No, I'm just saying the character hasn't met Hit Girl yet, so there's no interaction as of yet. Okay, very cool. So, last book in tonight's rundown is uh, I read Millennium, The Girl Who Danced with Death Number Two, published by Titan Comics, written by Sylvain Runeberg, art by Belan Ortega, I believe it's pronounced. I learned it by Philippe Glogowski. Now, and I think Runeberg was also the guy, so the last Titan, big Titan book that's in a similar format to this was uh, War of Crowns, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, so, so this is the comics of the second trilogy, I think, of the books written, or at least started, by uh, Stieg Larsson. Uh, Stieg Larsson started the books uh, that, that kicked off with uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, um, and then uh, I think partway through the uh, writing of the trilogy, he actually passed away, and I think the trilogy was finished by someone else. This, as I understand it, is the second trilogy um, centered around the same characters. Uh, these books were popularized as movies, first by uh, Numi Rapace in the lead role, and then later by Rooney Mara, who's Kate Mara's sister, uh, and, uh, and Daniel Craig as her co-star. Uh, all the names and faces, there's lots of names and faces. This is a big, I mean, this is like a modern-day kind of Game of Thrones. Maybe not that many characters, but there's a lot of moving parts to this thing. Um, and, that, and they're all less important than the overall themes. This is definitely a book of themes to glom onto rather than, in, in my opinion, you know, as important as a lot of the supporting cast. Um, the main characters are Elizabeth Salander, uh, who's kind of a social justice hacker, I guess I would say, and uh, Mikhail Blumquist, who is a, a Swedish journalist who writes for an activist paper, The Millennium. Uh, Salander gets involved in all sorts of skullduggery and with uh, pretty much factions of every offensive socio-political movement afoot today. So you've got white supremacists, xenophobes, chauvinists, uh, uh, hom- uh, you know, homophobes, gender supremacists, you name it. Uh, there's several plot lines going on here. One of the most poignant uh, that I felt was uh, one of a former member of one of these hate groups who has now seen the light uh, and has gone legit, for lack of a better term, uh, and who now coaches a girls' soccer team uh, what I think at what I think is a private school. 
so he has people of Islamic faith on his team, uh, and uh, part of where this chapter of the story focuses, uh, he this coach has started talking to Bloomfist um, in an effort to out a leader of a political faction for past crimes, uh, because the two of them have been part of the same hate group in the past. Um, and so that hate group, in order to get this coach to keep his mouth shut, uh, they corner one of the girls he's coaching uh, under an overpass when she's going home after practice one night and, and basically beat her into a coma uh, and then call this guy and tell him, you know, if, if you you know continue helping him out or if you speak to anyone else, um, you know, this is going to continue to happen to women of your team. So it's a very shark, shocking, jarring, kick-you-in-the-ribs type of story. There's a lot going on here. The book is 62 pages long. I think it's about 50 written. Um, and then you get some Titan Comics ads at the end that make up the rest, but it's really long. Now, just before this, I mentioned I read another Titan comic, War of Crowns, which was kind of the same shtick where it wasn't necessarily an original comic. It's a translation of a comic that was published overseas, I think, in France. Um, and you would think that after reading War of Crowns, which was also like 60-something pages per issue, that I would be tired. And I was actually really surprised. I'm, I'm not. This book is not exhausting me. Um, it's not something that I can't put down. Like when I was reading Star Wars 54... Uh, and, and actually Immortal Hulk, right? I, I started the, reading those books very late, and I should have gone to bed, but I, I was like, I couldn't put it down, and I kept turning the pages. This isn't quite that, but it's also not bogging me down in a two- or three-day read. Uh, I'm getting through it faster and with less remorse than it took me to read Newberry and Hobbes last week, which I talked about on the last podcast. Um, pencils in this are okay. They're professional, nothing really groundbreaking. Uh, what's probably more impressive is Ortega's work in colors, which feels kind of very metallic in color palette, uh, but he makes it work. Um, he does some great emoting in the eyes in scenes where uh, the two main characters are in motorcycle helmets, so there's no other way that they have to convey any of their emotion except just through their eyes. From a storytelling aspect, he has a really good, uh, uh, you know, kind of, the big thing The big thing Ortega is doing really well is he does this very quick jab um, of violence. Um he, he does a really good job of conveying uh, uh, the motion and speed in that, and uh, it, it's really brutal. So there are times where, like, it's very like there's a couple very very quiet panels and everything seems calm, and then all of a sudden, like, this very violent event happens, like somebody gets kicked in the ribs or smashed over the head um, or stabbed or something, and it really and it jars you and it takes your breath away. Uh, so so there's that, and I kind of really like that style. Uh, there's a little problem in lettering where it often seems... I, it There are these scenes where like everybody's just yelling and shouting at each other, and I'm like, I don't really know that this conversation would be going in this way, right? It just feels like just everybody is like super aggro and is yelling and screaming at each other for no real apparent reason. Um, and sometimes in the art, I will say Ortega kind of really overly does the lines in the in the portraits, um, in the facial in the faces, um, and it feels like it's just a tad bit overdone at the end of the day, overall I'm glad I'm reading this in the way that I'm just in the way that I'm glad I'm not just only reading capes and tight stuff uh, but I will say, you know, one thing about the story is this I mean, this, I, I read a novel like this too about a bunch of e eco-activists and it was kind of the same thing, like the, the Overall, the story is fine, but it was like every five seconds they were like it was like an issue statement, and and I get it, and it's a thing of the time, but it I, I feel like you you need to state the issue once, and then you just need to tell the story, and the issue will kind of come through. Um, 
you know, but admittedly, you, you've got to accept that this is an issues book if you're going to pick it up. Um, but uh, but on a positive note, it's you know, well, not on a positive note, but I guess overall that I'm I'm digesting the issue stuff, but the book just doesn't give me enough surprises. Uh, that I'm looking for. Again, the brutal violence thing, but like now I'm kind of getting acclimated to that. Uh, and there's no kind of big reveal or thriller plot twist. And I think, I think this is a three issue limited series and we're into the second issue. So I don't really know where it's going from here. It's solid. It's just not exceptional. So overall I gave this book a 6.5 out of 10. Um, and that's where we are. I don't know. Steven, do you read like big epic, Miniseries. I mean, you know, miniseries. Yeah, I do read anime, uh, miniseries books. But I mean, do you read like 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 big epic ones that are like these like sixty something pages per issue? Uh, things like the Sandman stuff that's going on now, or anything like no. that. I have I have been reading Sandman, but they haven't been that long. They were like okay. twenty pages. Gotcha, gotcha. Only the there's only like the first issue, which was this introduction to all the. Right. All this series is running. Is they're gonna be ongoing? They're not really mini series. Those right. those Sandman books. Right. And they they've been twenty page twenty pages each issue. So okay. I don't know. <laughs> so so we're getting down to about the last ten minutes. Uh, I think just in the course of the rundown, and this will not always be the case, but it is this week. Uh, the best thing I read this week was one of the books that we already talked about, which was Batman number fifty five. Um, like I said, after coming off issue 54, which I didn't particularly care for, um, you know, and like I said, I also didn't really take too much to the approach um, of Dick being so overcompensating with the humor. Uh, and we get a little bit of the same thing this week, but at the end of the day, I understand it all a little bit more um, because it does make the contrast between he and Bruce uh, more extreme. So there were other strong contenders for the best thing I read this week. Uh, Star Wars 54 could have been it. Immortal Hulk number 6 could have been it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I was just more emotionally impacted, admittedly with still some judgment and reserve uh, by the way that the Batman book ended. So, um, so Stephen, your favorite, you, you know, the best it's, thing you read this week was? It's Captain America Annual Number 1. Okay. Because I felt a connection with the character in the book and it's pretty interesting to see that it wasn't only soldiers that fought in the war it's also refugees and some of them were actually women or gay men they could they could probably carry some different backgrounds and i thought that was a pretty interesting piece of history no that sounds awesome too it sounds i, I kind of regret not having read that now uh, <laughs> my uh, my honorable mentions for the week which uh for this show are the things that we would have given an 8.0 or above or, or on a similar scale um equivalent books uh out of a 10.0 scale uh so my uh, honorable mentions this week those shout outs go to star wars number 54 buffy the vampire slayer season 12 the reckoning number four which was the final theoretically the final comic book issue of Buffy Summers, the Vampire Slayer that will ever be written. Her story is theoretically done. Uh, and then also a shout out to Immortal Hulk, Immortal Hulk number six. Steven, what were your shout outs for this week? I'll say Britannia, Lost Eagles of Rome, number three, which is a Valiant miniseries that takes place in, in ancient Rome. So there's like some Rome history in that book. And I also did like Doctor Strange number five. I Mark Wade. Oh, very cool. Oh, so Wade's on Doctor Strange. Okay, very cool. Yeah, very it's cool. pretty cool because it's like a 
Outer Space, Doctor Strange, which right, cause, cause I've never he, seen done before, and I wasn't sure this was gonna be an interesting idea, but when I started reading it, it actually is interesting. Right, I like him a lot because he rebooted. They rebooted him right before the movie, right, with Jason Aaron helming that series, and so so they pass it from there off to Mark Wade. That's very interesting. Well, it was it was um, Jason Aaron, then Donnie Case, and then okay. Mark Wade. Okay. Donny Keys had like a short run. He like I think only like we wrote six issues. Okay. And then he gave it to Mark Wade. Ah, that's still a good. That's a nice string of talent that you line up back to back there. Um, yeah, Johnny Donny Keys wasn't selling well, so he had changed okay. <laughs> to Mark Wade. Right. He only lasted like six issues, and they changed it very quickly. Okay. But uh, Kate does seem like he's hit, he's hitting his stride. He does. Here, though, so maybe. He, it's just I think that was his weakest right. maybe his weakest I don't like his writing but I know it's a lot of people talk about him right. so right. I it probably was his weakest run because they they changed him very quickly okay alright so last segment of the show before we get out of here let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be covering next week as well as what we're going to be reading so uh, first thing I'll be covering next episode will be Silencer number 9 from DC Comics which uh, ships this Wednesday the 26th of September. Uh, all of these books are the shipping week, 26 September. Uh, second thing I'll be talking about is Black Panther, number four. Uh, and uh, the third thing I'll be talking about next week is Justice League Odyssey, number one. All of these are drop-in randos for me. They are not uh, parts of my recurring pull list. Um, the only thing that I'll actually be reading next week for my recurring pull list is uh, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 310. I've got to pull the thread on this because... 309 just came out, and I'm like, is Marvel double shipping Spectacular Spider-Man? Because I didn't think Marvel was double shipping any books. Um, I don't know because I I stopped picking up that series. I don't know how okay. often it drops. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that, and then I'll also be reading Punisher number two uh, next week as well. Stephen, what are, what are you reading next week? Well, I don't I I don't know. Depending how good they are, I'll talk about them, but because there's a lot of titles I'm looking interested to picking up, but these are the ones I'm most looking forward to is um, I'm really looking forward to Paul Dameron number 31 because it's the uh, final issue of the series because the series got cancelled and I really like to see, like to see how it concludes and I've enjoyed the series, it's written by Charles Soule and I've been enjoying the series ever since it came out and I really like how he writes the character and um, I'm also looking forward to uh, Action Comics 1003, um, Domino Annual number one, Doomsday Clock number seven, Justice League Dark number three, Old Man Logan number 48, and Old Man Hawkeye number nine. That's about it. Very cool. So is Bendis is on Action Comics now, right? Yeah, I really like how Bendis is writing it. Um, I've been looking forward to it since I Man of Steel. I really have enjoyed his writing in that in the Superman books, both Action Comic books. I mean, Action Comics and Superman. I've been pretty much enjoying. Okay, very cool. Well, that completes our rundown sheet for tonight. Uh, Stephen, anything else that you want to mention before we get out of here? Any plugs that you have to make for any other content that you're working on? No, just I'm hoping to work with you again in the future for for this podcast 
Absolutely, man. Well, as I mentioned uh, at the outset of the show, uh, you can expect us back every week from here on out talking about comics every single week, 4 to 12 books, covering six issues, talking about the best thing that we read each week, and then finally talking about what we're going to be reading the following week. This will be our comics book podcast, which kind of, uh, as far as when the show is scheduled, will kind of be the lead-off show for our weekly rotation of podcasts. You'll have this show on Monday nights, then you'll have the uh, games podcast, which as I mentioned on enough to keep our EGKG deep dive that I just got off of before the show. We'll be collapsing the games podcast into one show, so you'll have that on Tuesday nights. And then you will have the It's Another Thing Movie Guys uh, podcast on Thursday nights every other week. And then Dave Petchy and I are about to rejoin, coming off of hiatus, excuse me, as we begin our coverage of The Gifted, which premieres uh, uh, tomorrow night, actually, this week. Uh, he and I will probably be doing every two episodes, so you can expect us on as well in the It's Another Thing rotation every other week. Excuse me. Red Bull is making me a little bit gassy. So uh, <laughs> that's going to do it for us. Once again, <laughs> yeah. Once again, my name has been Agassically Stamus from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel, as well as the Rounding Off Affinity Gaming channel on YouTube, here with Steven from the Ultimate Awesomeness podcast. Combining forces, Thing Ring, Do Your Thing, Wonder Twin, Powers Activate. He and I will be back here every <laughs> week talking about the comics yeah. we love and the comics that we hope you get also get a chance to read. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for us. We are out of here.